Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today, we're going to talk about the fallout from the Supreme Court decision granting Trump his delay in the immunity case. And I interview Pod Save America's John Favreau about how our strategy should change given the Supreme Court's decision, the warning signs for Trump in the Republican primary contests, and what to look out for as we await the State of the Union address. I'm Brian Tyler Cohen, and you're listening to No Lie. You know by now that our far-right Supreme Court has just decided to grant Trump the delay he so desperately wanted in the D.C. prosecution by agreeing to review this insane notion that a president has complete and total immunity to commit crimes while in office, which at the end of the day, even this Supreme Court won't uphold. And so I want to be clear about what the implications are for Trump and how we should react to this. So first, the implications for Trump are pretty simple. Because the Supreme Court agreed to hear this case at the end of April, Trump now gets a nice long delay and virtual assurance that he won't be convicted before the 2024 election. End of April hearing means we likely won't get a decision for at least a month, which puts us into June. Uh, Assuming the court rules that he doesn't have immunity, then Judge Chutkin already assured him that he'll get three months to prepare, so that's September. Then four to six weeks for a trial, plus jury deliberations, plus sentencing, puts us after the 2024 election. All thanks to a court that is purportedly there to defend the Constitution, not help a despot set it on fire. And yet, here we are. So Trump wanted a delay. He got the delay, thanks, I'm sure, to Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito and these other right-wing hacks on the court. Which brings me to the second point, and this is the more important point, because this is what we can actually control. So I know it's impossible not to see what's happening here and to feel completely disillusioned. Like, this guy incites an insurrection in fucking January of 2021, and somehow, it's March of 2024, and he's still gallivanting around the country and not sitting in a jail cell. Like, this goes without saying, but if a black dude on the corner did one one one-thousandth of what Donald Trump did, we all know where he would be. And so I get the feeling of hopelessness that you might feel, like the feeling of exhaustion and powerlessness and futility. I get it. But you throwing your hands in the air and giving up is exactly what Donald Trump wants. He wants you to feel like you have no power and uh, that your voice doesn't matter and that your participation doesn't matter because he's already won. That's what he wants. There would be nothing in the world that he would benefit more from. And so not only would he get the delay that he's seeking, not only would he score that win, but he'd also be rewarded by you checking out. It's a double win for him. And so we can't reward his corruption by also giving him a clear runway to keep barreling forward. The answer here, the only answer is to keep fighting. And in fact, to let this inspire you to fight harder, because I promise you, this will all seem tame compared to a Trump presidency. And we'll all wish that we could have done more when we actually had the chance, which is right now. And keep in mind, too, if you're feeling discouraged by this Supreme Court thing, by the polling, by just politics in general, all that matters are the votes. And in election after election, the Democrats are winning. That is what matters. We've won out in every election since 2018. And most recently, we've won even in states like Kentucky and Ohio and Virginia. So don't be swayed by a media that wants nothing more than to ramp up the drama to keep you hooked. And look, would it be nice for the courts in this country to like meet the moment? Absolutely. But let's be clear. Our strategy here was never never to just sit back and allow the courts to take care of it for us. Our strategy was always to do the work and focus on our circles of people and make sure that everyone is informed and engaged. And that doesn't change at all because of the Supreme Court decision. Again, it would be nice if they did their job, but we still have to do ours. 
So if you're upset, don't let it stop you. Let it push you even more to keep going. Next up is my interview with John Favreau. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. I'm joined now in his own studio uh, by John Favreau, President Obama's speechwriter and the co-host of Pod Save America. John, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me. I didn't even have to go anywhere. Yeah, that's right. Easy for you. So let's talk about the Supreme Court, because this is obviously a big piece of news. Uh, with the Supreme Court granting Donald Trump the gift of the delay that he was seeking with this immunity case, pushing this thing all the way back to arguments aren't going to begin until uh, April 22nd now, does that change our strategy? It shouldn't change our strategy because while I've seen the same polls everyone else has, if you ask people, um, would you vote for Donald Trump if he was convicted of a felony, you lose a bunch more Republicans, lose more independents, as one would hope. Not a, not enough Republicans and independents, but you do lose a bunch of them. And in a lot of those surveys, uh, it goes from a either tie race or a, a, a small uh, Trump lead to a Biden victory. So um, that sucks. But I don't. I think. I think it only. At the end of the day, it was. It's going to take voters going to the polls, and uh, like the most important jury is going to be the American people. That was always going to be the case. Yeah. Because uh, even if the trial happened on time, uh, even if it happens before the election, uh, there's always a chance that uh, what people are telling pollsters doesn't actually happen, and that Republicans now are telling pollsters, "Oh yeah, if he's convicted, I won't vote for him," and then they just cut to yeah, and they change their minds or. There's also a possibility that something goes wrong with the trial. There's a possibility that he's acquitted, right? We don't yeah. know. And then, so we can't, we shouldn't base, we shouldn't ever have based our strategy on the fact that Donald Trump will be convicted before the election. Um, I do think it sharpens the argument that Donald Trump is not running for president for the country to help people. He is running for his own selfish gain, which he was before, but now it's more magnified because Donald Trump is not running for president. He is like running from prison. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he is running from the law. He is running just for his own freedom. And if everyone knows that the American people know that um, if a Donald Trump win puts him in the White House and he'll never be accountable for anything, 
a Donald Trump loss means that he will at least face a jury of his peers. Right. And that's a good point because I know a lot of people can see this and become like disillusioned with the whole process and say, like, what's the point? He's always going to get away with it. But the fact is that if Joe Biden does win, then these prosecutions will move forward fine. The only the only way that these prosecutions would actually be in jeopardy is if Donald Trump becomes president and he can try to use his own DOJ to withdraw their own prosecutions of him. Yeah. So I think that that's that's a that's a great point. And also your point about the fact that it was never on the courts to save us. It was never on lawyers or lawmakers or state parties or anyone this whole thing was always going to be about us in the end and so I know I know it's like uh, we want not to have to do all the work that we're going to have to do <laughs> yeah <laughs> we want to be like left let off the hook somehow yeah it's just not going to happen we're gonna have to grind it out now Joe Biden has been cautious about mentioning these prosecutions because uh, Trump and Republicans are already claiming that Joe Biden has something to do with it which of course he doesn't but but that's not going to change the talking points so given that Trump was was indeed hand, handed this gift by by uh, the Supreme Court. Um, do you think that Joe Biden should then lean in now that he doesn't have to that he doesn't have that benefit anymore? No matter what, he still can't talk about a case that is being tried by his own Justice Department. Um, I just think that's it, it gets into pretty tricky territory uh, legally, institutionally. But I don't think he needs to. Joe Biden has talked a lot in speeches and interviews about what Donald Trump did in January 6th, about the fact that Donald Trump has, uh, you know, mishandled classified information. He's talked about all this stuff before. So he can continue to talk about why Donald Trump is a threat to democracy, what remind people what Donald Trump did um, when he left office, remind him that he remind people that he tried to attempt a coup, right? All things that Joe Biden has said before. Yeah. He can keep saying those things. You don't need to actually talk about the, the, the legal, the know, legal no, process. I don't think it gets him anything else. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what would affect voters differently if Joe Biden started talking about, oh, well, the Supreme Court did this and, you know, Donald Trump should be on trial. That's not much different than, hey, remember Donald Donald Trump tried to steal the last election and then stay in power right. and send a violent mob to Congress? Yeah, uh, that's you can say that. I think the the crime that led to these prosecutions is probably more front of mind and more important for these voters than the legal processes that determine what his punishment is going to be. Absolutely, and also everyone's following the legal process, right? Like yeah. they're getting coverage. Trump's yeah. getting and Trump's talking about it. So yeah. like I don't know if Joe Biden needs to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, so I want to go go over to uh, a slightly different issue, and that is the issue of the Republican primary writ large. We're now through four Republican primaries. Donald Trump failed to consolidate full support in all of them. He got uh, 51%, 54%, 60%, and then 68 So how much of a blinking red light is this for him? Because like Joe Biden, he's running as the incumbent, and Joe Biden has the advantage of, of getting you know 96% support, or or uh, in, in this most recent one, 80, 81% support. So these yeah. are, you know, this is an apples to apples comparison because both guys are running as the respective parties incumbents but right. one of them is getting far less numbers than the other yeah we don't know and uh like you said because we are in an unprecedented situation where two presidents are are in a rematch yeah which <laughs> we haven't had um we you know it's hard to sort of compare to the past but i can remember uh in 2008 when barack obama and hillary clinton had a very long primary and it was pretty clear in the late winter, early spring, that Barack Obama had sewn up the nomination, but Hillary Clinton stayed in the race till June. And we got our asses handed to us in a lot of those primaries. And everyone kept saying, well, Barack Obama couldn't cons consolidate the party and he's going to have big problems in the general. And they would interview Clinton voters and like half half of Clinton's voters uh, said that they wouldn't vote for Barack Obama in the general, which did not happen. So 
that that's only to say that it's not a guarantee that just because someone voted for Nikki Haley in the primary, they won't vote for Donald Trump in the general. But what I think Nikki Haley has done for the Democrats and for Joe Biden is to like sort of leave a trail of breadcrumbs of voters that Democrats can target with persuasion yeah. efforts, because now we're going to know every voter that voted for Nikki Haley in all of these swing states. We are going to know where they live, demographics, and Democrats are going to be able to make their case to those voters and spend more resources targeting those voters yeah. um, than we would otherwise if if she hadn't run. So, and I do think for some of the, if you believe a lot of these polls and a lot of these exit polls, a lot of these voters that are voted for Nikki Haley are saying things like uh, Donald Trump is not fit for office. Um, they believe that uh, they don't believe in the big lie. They believe that Joe Biden won the election. Uh, some of them are saying that if he's convicted, they're uh, not going to vote for him. And a lot of them are saying that yes they voted for Nikki Haley, but we will not vote for Donald Trump in the general, right? Yeah. So that's a, a non-insignificant uh, portion of Haley's voters have said this to exit right. poll, has had this in exit polls. So, um, you know, I think it's a it's a good thing for Democrats. And but, you know, we won't know until the fall. But I think that's where a big chunk of the persuasion efforts should go. But also, this isn't some insignificant portion of her voters. This isn't like 2% of Haley voters. This is like 40% of yeah. her voters. There's, there's, there was as much as 82% of her voters uh, in the most recent race who said that if Donald Trump was convicted of a crime, he would be unfit to be uh, to be president. These are not small numbers. Right. Even if even if Haley has, you know, a quarter of the Republican electorate, of true Republicans, that is still like half of that quarter is like not a small amount, especially in a race where Donald Trump's only goal right now is to expand his coalition, is to expand his tent. I mean, he lost Wisconsin, Arizona, Pennsylvania by, by small margins in 2020. His job right now is to be reaching out to independents and suburban moms and young people and people of color and like if he's if he's got massive defections from within his own base that that ain't it yeah one one way to think about it in michigan is hundred thousand protest votes against joe biden in a state that he won by one hundred fifty thousand votes donald trump basically 300,000 protest votes against Donald Trump in a state he lost by 150,000 yeah. votes. So he's he already needs yeah. 150,000 votes just to get even in Michigan, yeah. right? And now, in addition to the 150 he was down from 2020, another 300,000 voted for Haley instead of him, right? So it's that's part of the math. And how much uh, how much misplaced optimism do you have in uh, with regard to Nikki Haley endorsing Trump or endorsing Biden at the end of this? Uh, I think there's a 0% chance she endorses Joe Biden. I think there is a I'm at like Well, I guess the, re the real question should be does she endorse Donald Trump or does she endorse nobody? Right. So I think I'm at a, like a 20-30% chance she endorses nobody. But I, I think it's I think she ends up getting behind Trump, but Again, I would make the case to her that, like, even for her own political future, that, like, it, she should not endorse anyone. Well, do you think that she's past the point of no return? I mean, she's now she is the only person standing in between Donald Trump launching his, like, a full-scale campaign against Joe Biden. Definitely past the not. point of no return, so which then, is why I was— So then what are you doing? What are you doing, right? Because if she—so let's, let's go down the path. She uh, endorses Donald Trump, and then Donald Trump loses, Right. Then she is not the future of the party because she endorsed Donald Trump. Right. She was part of it. And someone else is going to come along and, tw and say, you know what? This whole Trump thing, this cost us. Throw them all, throw yeah, throw them all out the window. Yeah. Now, say she uh, endorses Donald Trump. Donald Trump wins. Uh, he's, he's not going to forget. <laughs> he holds a grudge. Yeah. Right? She's out. She's yeah. out no matter what. So there's no benefit to endorsing him. There's no future for Nikki Haley in a Trump-led Republican party. Yeah. There's just none. So, and I think she knows that. So if she knows that, then 
stepping back, right, she's going to get a lot of shit from the Trump people. She's going to be exiled from the Republican Party. She's going to have no future. But if Donald Trump loses and Joe Biden wins and she didn't endorse uh, Donald Trump, then she can say, I still think she doesn't get a nomination because I think the party's too Trumpy, the base of the party. But at least she has an argument in 2028 where she says, I told you so. I told all of you that this was yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I want to move over to, to IVF um, because this is a big issue. I feel like this is this is the first moment where Republicans seem to be on the defensive to such a degree since Dobbs. Does that kind of portend how potent of an issue this is going to be for Democrats moving forward? I think it should be. Um, I think we should. I mean, it, it like, can you can you square this for me? Because because the Republicans are out there claiming that they want to do anything they can to promote, like, building families. This is, for a lot of people in this country, the only way they can actually do that. So this goes so far beyond. I mean, it gives the game away in terms of the fact that, like, it was not really just about Roe. That was a big part of it for them. But, I mean, now they're attacking every facet of reproductive health. So I think there's a segment of the right that just doesn't believe in IVF, yeah. right? There is another segment of the Republican Party and Republican politicians uh, I'm talking about here because most most Republican voters are in favor of IVF. Yeah. Um, but there's a bunch of Republican t- politicians who are like, well, I am in favor of IVF, right? Because it helps people get fam- helps people grow their families. But they've also signed on to like fetal personhood, right? Legislation, which is the same basis, same basis. Yeah. And so when you ask those same, you're gonna, you're getting answers from Republican politicians that are like, "I support IVF." Well, are you okay with uh, embryos being discarded, right? Which happens all, which is the only way you can do IVF, right? right? That happens all the time. They say, "Oh no, I don't want an embryo being discarded because an embryo is a." So you're not okay with IVF. So you're not okay with IVF, right? And they, and so it's either uh, ignorance of science, it's either just lying, whatever it is. I don't know. I'm not gonna (laughs) guess the motivation, but either way, I think all that matters for Democrats is. Tammy Duckworth had a bill. You know what? You say you're for IVF. This bill will protect IVF, right, on a federal level. So we don't have to worry about what happens in Alabama. We don't have to worry about what happens in the next state. We don't have to worry about what courts do. This bill will protect IVF. They blocked the bill. And in addition, a whole bunch of Republicans in the House signed on to a fetal personhood bill that would also um, render IVF, uh, you know, that would also prevent IVF uh, nationally. So, like... That, that's it. That's how they voted. State of the Union is this week. Yeah. You obviously have a lot of success with this. So first off, I want to talk about what does success and what does failure look like for Joe Biden as far as the State of the Union address goes? Uh, I think success is that he uh, lays out an agenda for a second term that people walk away with you know, some general knowledge of, that it, it acts as a blueprint for his uh, campaign that he's about to run. And so, and that he lays out a contrast with the other side. And I say the other side, and not Trump, because obviously it's not a political, it's not a campaign speech, so he's not going to mention Trump a bunch. But we saw it in 2012 when Barack Obama did, was running for re-election to the State of the Union. We saw that as like, okay, this is our chance, the biggest audience we're going to have all year. Uh, it's probably it's like slightly bigger even than your convention speech audience. Yeah. Uh, not as big as the debates, but who knows what the debates this time? We're not. We're probably right, not yeah. going to have debates. So it could be Joe Biden's biggest audience from now until November. And so you have that many people tuning in, and what you have to think about is forget about the yahoos in Congress. <laughs> like yeah. you are talking to the American people, and so you have to make your case as to why you should be president for another four years, and why the opposition is not the people that you want to be putting back in power. Yeah. And that's it. Like, if you can do that, then that's a success. 
to what degree is the inevitability of someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene interrupting that, which has become like a feature of these speeches, uh, is, is that going to be part of the prep for the address? Yeah, it's definitely part of the prep. Uh, it's because, I mean, I think ever since Joe Wilson screamed, you lie to Barack yeah. Obama during the uh, joint session for health care, uh, they've all been prepared for it. Obama has been prepared for it. Biden has gone back and forth with Republicans as, as recently as last year. So, and I, well, honestly, I think it's, it's almost always a good thing for him because yeah. it definitely helps last if year. If you're standing up, and, and this goes for whoever the president is, if you're standing up shouting at someone, giving a speech, um, no one thinks that's cool. Yeah. No, yeah. people, don't, voters don't like that. Yeah. Maybe like political people on your side like that. Voters don't like that. They don't want to be people being interrupted. They think that's that's rude. What is the worst memory you have from writing a State of the Union speech? All of them. All the memories. <laughs> I can't even remember. Uh, I, I can't remember which speech was which memory. But like, it's just it's a brutal process. I remember being like, you are up till three in the morning, two weeks in a row, seven days a week just constant edits from every department, every federal agency, the edits just keep coming in. And then the president, he's giving his edits while policy people are doing their edits and they're fact checking. And the whole time you were just trying to cut, 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 because the speech just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And all I wanted to do was just keeping it under an hour yeah. and have some kind of a message and some good moments that people would remember Yeah, and just, making sure that happens is like the biggest struggle. What was like the most insane thing that somebody had requested that you put into the State of the Union? Because everybody gets their moment. Like this is where everybody yeah. kind of converges on you and, and wants to have their few seconds. Um, I would ignore most people who <laughs> would try to get something in because if like the president didn't want it, then I'm not going to like yeah. put it in the speech. I, I used to say in the White House, the president is not your PA system. Like yeah. some people thought that like speeches that Barack Obama gave were an opportunity for him to make an announcement that could be made via press release, but yeah. they just wanted him to make it because it was a bigger megaphone. So like, that's not what we do. But there was a moment where um, uh, Bill Daley was the chief of staff and he had been commerce secretary in the Clinton White House. And he was, and we were talking about government reorganization, a really exciting part of the speech. So love it, and I thought we'd make a joke in that section. And we found out from Bill Daly that um, the Interior Department uh, monitors salmon when they're freshwater, and the Commerce Department monitors salmon when they're uh, in seawater. And, and Obama said, why do we need this? And by the way, it gets even more complicated once they're smoked. Not that funny. Um, but anyway... <laughs> Right yeah. before the speech, Gary Locke, the Commerce Secretary, called me up and was like, this is not true. Commerce is supposed to have this kind of salmon and, and Interior is supposed to be doing that. And it's not an example of things that need to be reorganized. It's fine the way it is. And this is going to be a big problem. And then Bill Daly is like, no, you're right. You can keep it in the speech. And they're arguing. It's like a half hour before the speech. And we're arguing about fucking salmon. Yeah. And um, I put it in the speech anyway. And then they did like a big uh, polls after the speech. And they did like the word cloud thing. And like, you know, in that word cloud, you want the biggest word to be like jobs economy middle class and the, the mass speech was salmon <laughs> salmon was the biggest word so uh, that was a miss yeah. that was a miss all right let's finish off with that uh, with this so we're both in california right now obviously we have the uh, the california senate race coming up now according to the latest uh, the latest polling that we have i believe it was the uc berkeley poll it looks like schiff and garvey are running away with it schiff obviously the democrat garvey is the republican Katie Porter and Barbara Lee seem to be boxing each other out, both uh, both occupying the progressive lane. What are your thoughts on this? Because the way that I view this is like it would be more beneficial for Democrats to have two Democrats that advance because it's a jungle primary in California. So the top two vote getters, regardless of party, will advance to have two Democrats advance so that then like moving forward, you have you have like two really popular Democratic candidates who 
pull it like drive out voters across the across the state and like have down ballot implications for all of these house races and California is not like we have a lot of races that we lost by super close margins and so having that in my opinion would be a big boon like an unpaid boon to to dr- draw out a lot of voters in a state that is otherwise like just this blue bastion where it doesn't really matter that much absolutely i just i'll, I'll highlight the point about the down ballot races so uh, we could flip the House of Representatives just based on the races in California alone, yeah. the competitive House races in this. If you have Adam Schiff and Steve Garvey in uh, running against each other in November, that's going to bring out a lot of Republican voters. Those Republican voters are going to turn out in a lot of these competitive House races. If you have uh, Adam Schiff and Katie Porter in, uh, the, in November running against each other, uh, a lot of those Republicans that were going to come out for Steve Garvey might not come out. Yeah. But a lot of Democrats will come out. A ton of Democrats will come out because they'll want to choose between who they like better, who yeah. they like better. And so it is better for not just like not just all down ballot races, but especially the U.S. House races. Yeah. And look, so the reason that Garvey is has been going up in the polls is Adam Schiff has been running ads to um, boost Steve Garvey's name ID so that he could get. Garvey as a as a as an opponent and not Katie Porter because then he has a better chance to win, and which I get if like I get the strategy there right. and that's like Adam Adam Schiff can do that if he wants to do that right like that's just that's just politics yeah but if I were someone who liked both <laughs> Adam Schiff and Katie Porter which I do right. a lot um, I would vote for Katie Porter just because he's got this big lead and I'd really I really want to see Schiff and Porter in the final race so that then once we get to November. Um, then everyone can make up their minds. They can have a couple more months of Katie Porter and Adam Schiff talk, going back and forth. And everyone's like, yeah, well, that's wasting a lot of money. You don't have to give a lot of money. That's the you, thing. Don't, you don't have to give them any money. Yeah. That, that was the biggest criticism because I'd spoken about this a bit on like on Twitter, which was my first mistake uh, to, to engage with people on Twitter. Always. But, uh, but I, I have not learned that, but yeah. That, that was the number one <laughs> criticism. It's like, look at all this money that's going to be dumped into this race. We can choose not to dump money into that race. Like we all have agency here. There all are much agency. more important races, like Montana, Arizona, uh, uh, Ohio, and so like th- put your money toward that race. Like we we're not like devoid of agency in all of this. Like we we can choose if we want to donate to certain races and if we don't. And so if we don't want to like dump money into a California race between two Democrats, then just don't. Right. It's as easy as that. Yeah. No. My my view on this is we should want two Democrats in the runoff, and we should also donate money. Elsewhere, (laughs) and you know what? It doesn't even have to be out of California. Donate to a a House Democrat, or or donate to one of these House races that is really competitive in California, so that we can help flip the House. Yeah, but I mean, the benefit of this of of having two Democrats in the in the uh, in the Senate runoff ultimately would be like would be it would be an in kind contribution to every Democrat across the state running in these House races. Hundred percent, John. Where can we see and hear more from you? Uh, well, I'm always on Pod Save America. We have our YouTube channel, <laughs> uh, you, and I'm also hosting offline. You can you can do that. We got a book coming out in uh, in late June, Democracy or Else: How to Save America in Ten Easy Steps. You can pre-order now by going to cricket.com/books. It's funny. It's got illustrations. Uh, if you're someone who's like uh, all this politics stuff is crazy, but I want to get involved and I'm scared. I don't know where to start. It's a good way to start. Perfect. We'll put the link to that in the post description of this video and the show notes of the podcast. Fabs, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. This was fun. Thanks again to John. That's it for this episode. Talk to you next week. You've been listening to No Lie with Brian Tyler Cohen, produced by Sam Graber, music by Wellesley, interviews captured and edited for YouTube and Facebook by Nicholas Nicotera, and recorded in Los Angeles, California. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your preferred podcast app. Feel free to leave a five-star rating and a review. And check out BrianTylerCohen.com for links to all of my other channels. Thank you.